Food Yells Podcast, Episode 27. Word to the wise, one day your boobs are going to sag and mine are going to look just like this forever because they're <laughs> fake and they ain't moving. <laughs> Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to change their status update from hashtag blessed to hashtag OMG even more blessed than yesterday, hashtag loving life. If you experience any of these symptoms, make sure to tweet a Kardashian immediately. Welcome to the Food Heals Podcast. I'm Allison Melody, and today is part two of our three-part interview with breast cancer survivor and my personal friend, Jill Tomback. In Saturday's episode, you heard Jill tell her story of getting diagnosed with breast cancer, going through a double mastectomy to get rid of the cancer, having the cancer then come back anyway, and then going through radiation and multiple rounds of chemotherapy, losing her hair, and the physical and emotional toll that the diagnosis and the treatment had on her life. It's a really detailed account of her experience with Western medicine, and in the end, she concludes that if she had to do it all over again, she would look to natural cures, specifically the Gerson therapy, to heal herself rather than radiation and chemotherapy. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back to episode 26. We also shared a ton of resources for cancer on the show notes page at foodhealsnation.com slash 26. In today's episode, we cover some things that we didn't get to last time, including why she ended up having to have nine surgeries to repair the damage to her skin from radiation and the importance and powerfulness of emotional healing and therapy for anyone who is dealing with cancer. So that's this episode, and in our third interview next time, Jill gives us her healing recipes for juices and smoothies and talks about how she lives her life today for cancer prevention. And it's October, so it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and there are so many organizations talking about awareness, and every brand is coming out with something pink to support the so-called breast cancer awareness. And while I love pink just as much as the next gal, make sure you know what you are buying into. There are organizations doing wonderful things out there, but sadly, there are many that are capitalizing on this trend to sell you something pink under the guise of breast cancer awareness. And unfortunately, that money only goes to their profits rather than to research and awareness. So in honor of Jill, one of my closest friends, this October, I am making a donation to the Gerson Institute. The Gerson therapy is a natural treatment that activates the body's extraordinary ability to heal itself through an organic plant-based diet, raw juices, coffee enemas, and natural supplements. And it is where Jill said she would go if God forbid her cancer ever came back. With its whole body approach to healing, the Gerson therapy naturally reactivates your body's magnificent ability to heal itself with no damaging side effects. This powerful natural treatment boosts the body's own immune system to heal cancer, arthritis, heart disease, allergies, and many other degenerative diseases. 
Dr. Max Gerson developed the Gerson therapy in the 1930s. Initially, it was a treatment for his own debilitating migraines, and eventually it became a treatment for degenerative diseases such as skin, tuberculosis, diabetes, and of course, now they're most well known for and famously for cancer. So if you truly want to support an organization that is curing cancer, go to Gerson.org, click the donate button instead of buying something pink this October. Or if you like pink and you think it's cute, which it is, get your pink mug, get your pink socks, whatever, and then go donate something to Gerson.org. Let me make it clear that we have no affiliation with them. They are not a sponsor. No one is paying me to say this. It's just that Jill and I believe in them so strongly that we want to get the word out. And there are many documentaries about this healing therapy. The one that comes to mind is The Beautiful Truth. So watch it on Netflix. Check it out. See for yourself. Before we get to the interview, I have to tell you about our amazing sponsor. Our sponsor today is the Global Healing Center. And speaking of the Gerson Institute, the Global Healing Center has a very, very similar mission, and that is for people to realize that their body has self-healing mechanisms. Dr. Edward Group, the founder, has formulated a comprehensive selection of nutritional supplements to help your body heal from the inside out. They offer a wide variety of high-quality, green-living lifestyle products to help you maintain a clean body and live a healthy lifestyle. I order their products religiously. I love the Parfait Massage, the Veganzyme Enzymes, the Aqua Spirit Spray, and of course, the Oxy Powder Detox Pills. There is nothing that compares to those, so check those out. They also have an amazing kidney cleanse kit. So if you know anyone who's having kidney problems, highly, highly recommended. This complete kidney cleansing kit is a comprehensive approach to cleansing your kidneys and rejuvenating your system. This kit is effective and powerful. So check out the Global Healing Center's website. Use the discount code FOODHEALS, all one word, to get 20% off your purchase. Next up, our interview with Jill. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. All right, Food Heals Nation, we're back with cancer survivor, teacher, lacrosse coach, dog lover, and one of my besties. Yay. Jill Tomac. Hello, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. Thank you. So your first show was such a huge success because so many people can relate to your story. And today we're going to follow up with Jill and get more about her story and a lot of her tips about how she's living now. If you didn't listen to her first interview, please, please go back to episode 26. You're going to hear the entire story of her going from day one diagnosed with breast cancer to five years later to now what she learned, what she went through. And I think it's a really important episode for everyone to listen to, whether you're into holistic medicine, whether you're into Western medicine, it doesn't matter. This is a real person's experience of doing a little bit of both, mostly Western, and what worked, what didn't, and what she does now. I think it's really important. So please go back to episode 26. But today, we're going to talk to Jill about a lot of things that we didn't get to. So we didn't get to a lot of the emotional, spiritual, 
work that Jill was doing. We didn't get to talk about why she actually ended up having nine surgeries instead of two. So we're going to get to all of that, which is crazy. I can't even imagine, Jill. That's that's insane. It was crazy, yeah. I mean, Crazy's the only word. <laughs> uh, maybe shitty, that's a better word. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm allowed to use that word. So We will mark it as explicit. So if you have children <laughs> listening, we may cuss, so please put the earbuds on them. Um, this is really an adult conversation for sure. But Jill... For anyone that, for whatever reason, can't go back and listen to episode 26, can you give a brief summary of your battle with breast cancer and just what you went through in a nutshell, which I know is very, very hard to do, but just to catch anyone up who can't go back to 26 for whatever reason. Sure. So this is going to be quite the tight little nutshell, but I was 25. My doctor found a lump. I went in for a routine ultrasound and came out with a mammogram and a biopsy and cancer. That was crazy. I know I'm saying it so lightheartedly right now, but (laughs) if you listen to the episode 26, you will hear that it wasn't that simple. And then I met with a surgeon, decided on a surgery plan to do a bilateral mastectomy, and then met with a reconstructive surgeon and decided to reconstruct my breasts using implants. And then I started chemotherapy. And then my chemotherapy didn't work. And then I started radiation. And then I started a new kind of chemotherapy. And um, basically, it was it was awful. And it was hell. And it was a very long year of my life. And here I am today, cancer-free for five and a half years. And, you know, doing everything possible that I can to keep it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I really encourage anyone listening to go back to 26 and really hear the nuts and bolts of that. But what I want to talk about is some of the things we didn't get to, as well as what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned in the last show that you had nine surgeries, and that's absurd. Um, So why did that happen? (laughs) Okay, so yes, I had nine surgeries in just under four years. So the initial surgery was obviously a choice that I made. I needed, I had cancer in my breast. I was 25 and I decided I don't ever want this again. The most surefire immediate way for me to make that happen at the time was to chop both of my boobs off. Obviously, it's not as easy as a a chop. There's very much a a skill to it that a surgeon studies for a long time. So, So that was surgery number one. And that also included the beginning of my reconstruction, which was like the placement of tissue expanders, which is sort of how they over time stretch the muscles, your pec muscles, in your chest to accommodate an implant to a size where you'll be happy. It's the same idea of stretching kind of as people who get like a plastic surgery boob job, but it's a far more involved stretching process because you're literally building from negative chest to something. That was my first surgery. And then the second surgery was expected. So in between those two surgeries, I had my tissue expanders um, literally filled up every week after I had done enough healing from the initial surgery. I would go and my reconstructive surgeon had this really cool mag- like magnetic tool that would find the port inside my body of the tissue expander. And he would stick this terrifying looking, really long needle with a bag of saline attached to it just straight through my chest, almost like Mm. I was a vampire getting staked through the heart. (laughs) Like that's kind of what it looked like. And I I couldn't watch. I was too afraid I would faint if I watched it happen. But luckily they take all your nerves away in a mastectomy. So I couldn't feel anything. And he would just fill it a little bit and each week until I felt pressure. And then he would stop. And we did that week after week. And then I had my second surgery, which was taking those 
uncomfortable stiff expanders out and putting in nice soft you know silicone gel implants that felt like gummy bears and it was such a relief those two surgeries were what I expected to happen and what should have just happened unfortunately at the time and I I talked about this a lot in the last episode so I won't get too crazy into it but it turns out that my cancer did not completely go away So I had to go back to the drawing board and sort of start my medical treatment over again after I had this beautiful reconstruction all complete and ready. And I actually felt pretty good about my chest. I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. these look good. They're soft, whatever. Um, But I then found out that we needed to um, give me radiation. And I told my reconstructive surgeon I was going to get radiation and he got angry. (laughs) And I I didn't understand why, but he got really upset. And, um, you know, the damage from radiation happened gradually. I I don't know if anybody listening has experience with it or not, but you pretty much just lay on a table and it's, it's very serious and technical. They like line you up with these lasers and they have these tattoo dots they put in your skin permanently so that you can always be lined up the same way. And then just, you know, you lay there. You don't feel anything. There's no, like, hot beam that shoots across. You just lay there. And they give you these creams, and they tell you, like, use the cream every day, all the time. Keep the area covered in the cream. And you think, well, okay, whatever. And I was really good at it at first, and then I got lazy. But I don't Mm -hmm. think that's why my skin didn't do well. But gradually over the 43 days that I went in for radiation, my skin started to change color. And it turned this, like, horrible shade of like blackish purple (laughs) Mm. and it was so intense it actually went through my chest through my entire body and part of my back turned that color which is crazy I don't even know how How it got there Yeah. yeah it just popped up then I started to understand why my surgeon was so mad because I had totally dead damaged skin cells and part of what that did to my reconstruction was it caused my body to go into like a panic mode where it basically sent scar tissue and collagen is scar tissue or scar tissue is collagen, however you want to think of it. It signaled my body to protect itself from the foreign object, which was the implant. Mm -hmm. And in the process, it overproduced collagen, AKA scar tissue and made something called a capsule. What that did to me is it, it squeezed the implant. So it moved it up in my chest. It made it feel very tight and uncomfortable. It, It just felt like this, balloon inside my body wanted to explode out all the time he went in and did a third surgery where he took out the implant and pretty much didn't remove any of that scar tissue buildup but he's kind of sliced through it to release it and then put a new implant in closed me back up and that was supposed to be the end of it and I was healing from that and I felt great super great I was like oh this is the way it's supposed to be sure my skin is still dark purple but like who cares that'll go away eventually The other issue was that radiated skin has been damaged and damaged skin does not like to grow back together. Right. So I was back on the East Coast um, visiting my sister. We were in New York City. We were having a great time. And I started to notice that my scar was getting little holes Mm. in it where he had stitched me back up. And the holes were multiplying and growing to the point where it was no longer sealed. It was open. And I called my doctor and he was like, send pictures immediately. So here I am like taking pictures of my breast and sending them to like my doctor via text message mm. across the country. And I, he gave me instructions and in those instructions were get your butt in my office the second you're back in California. Oh. Yeah. So I went back and 
at the point when I finally got to his office, it was doing this weird thing where if I leaned forward, this is so gross. If you have a weak stomach, don't listen to this part. Just say weird things to yourself for the next 30 seconds. But <laughs> fast forward. Fast forward, exactly. I forgot you can do that. When I leaned forward, this like clear liquid would pour out of those holes. Mm. And I didn't know what that was. Turns out it's called Sera and it's what your body uses to heal itself. It's like mm. why you swell when you have an injury or whatever. It's it's like jam-packed with white blood cells and it sends healing properties but the problem mm-hmm. was it was all leaking out of the holes in my chest yeah <laughs> so they saw me you know demonstrate that and my doctor my surgeon and his assistant freaked out and literally sat me down and said okay well you're having surgery right now like right now immediately my oh surgeon my who yeah who i had trusted you know with my chest so far and i honestly he's i mentioned this in the last episode he's so confident i trust i mean he could tell me the sky is green and i'd be like you're right i've been wrong all along the sky is green <laughs> like he's that good at what he does and he knows it that he's just you just you hear him and you're like yes whatever you say mr sherman whatever you say right so he sat down and he said i'm sending you to my friend's office for your surgery because i am boarding a plane in 2 hours from now to operate on like poor children in Africa. And oh he wasn't God. kidding. That wasn't a joke. So I'm looking at him and I'm like, wait, wait, what? Like, I can't just wait to have this surgery until you come back. Right. And he says, nope, you have an open hole in your body. And that cavity that it leads to goes all the way to your chest wall. And mm. you can literally die if this hole stays open any longer. So you need to go. So I was like, uh, okay. So oh, how scary. I know. So mind you, I have no immediate family that lives in California. I had 25 minutes to let them know this was happening. I had no one to pick me up afterward. I mean, you, I went under general anesthesia, and you can't drive home after that. You're no. not even, like, aware of where you are when you wake up from that. So I luckily called a friend of mine who wasn't working that day, and she came and, you know, picked me up from the hospital. But they walked me into an office, and then I there I was, slapped on a table. And he was a plastic surgeon who did my surgery, and he was – wonderful and so sweet and uh, his whole team was great the issue was that surgery was to remove the implant so that the the holes in my skin could heal without the pressure of being stretched oh my god but in no part of that surgery was there a replacement of the implant right so i woke up from that surgery with one reconstructed breast and one nothing after going through all that to reconstruct both yes after i had been through all all of the pain and torture of reconstructing both. And the, and a mastectomy before that, of course. Yeah, and, you know, after having been... Just the mental capacity of dealing with being diagnosed with cancer and going through chemotherapy and going through radiation. And after all of that, then I'm... The, the one thing I feel like kept me feeling good about myself was like, well, I've got these two reconstructed breasts that look amazing. So, yeah, you like, looked hot. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, word to the wise, one day your boobs are going to sag and mine are going to look just like this forever because they're <laughs> fake and they ain't moving. <laughs> right? Like, sorry to get graphic with everybody, but like, it's true, right? Natural breasts will fall and mine won't. They'll just be here forever. Right. But then I didn't have one. And there's nothing worse in the world that I can say, well, there's plenty worse. That's not accurate, but... One of the most difficult things that I dealt with emotionally was being 26 years old and having to go buy like a prosthetic insert for my bra. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's so uncomfortable. And I had to wait for a really long time for my radiated skin to heal again. Before you could reconstruct Before I could even attempt. They weren't sure if I could even reconstruct it again. Mm -hmm. So before we could even talk about what options I had left for reconstruction, that hole, all those holes, which had eventually stretched into one massive hole, had to heal. Mm -hmm. And that process took three months, which... You know, grand scheme of life doesn't sound long, but three months of every day having to like put a boob in your bra to walk out the door and feel like semi normal is just not cool. No. My total respect goes out to anyone who opts not to have reconstruction and, and goes that route of wearing the prosthesis because that is a very hard thing. It's, a, it's, it's hard because you have to think about the fact that you had cancer every day when you put it in. Right. It's like you never get to forget and pretend you're normal. So that was really, really difficult. That's a huge emotional, you know, scar. Ooh, it was really, yeah, that sound I just made might have said it all. I don't think there's <laughs> words. I like there's a worse sound than the one that just came out of me. Um, so then finally, thank goodness that healed. And it was time to talk about reconstruction again. So mm-hmm. we're at this point. Oh, sorry. That was actually four surgeries in because in the last episode I mentioned that we found like another little nodule of cancer in my skin. And so that was the third surgery to take that out. Mm -hmm. So now we're four surgeries in. So then my option to do that thing that I did with the expander and the implant was off the table. It was over. My pec muscle could no longer come off my chest. It wasn't happening. Right. So I had to choose whether I wanted – and I forget – I did a lat flap. I forget the name of the other one. It's like a flap – where they actually kind of give you a tummy tuck and move part of your abdomen, part of your muscles mm-hmm. up, like your abdominal muscles up to your chest and then sew it on top of your pec muscle and then put an implant in between. I secretly wanted that because I was like, man, can I flatten my... I mean, I, by the way, already had a pretty flat stomach, but I was like, can I flatten my stomach more? Like, how do we do it? <laughs> And um, unfortunately, that wasn't an option for me because my surgeon was like, you don't have enough meat for us to do that option, but... Um, you do have a lat muscle, mm-hmm. and so we're going to do that. So the next surgery was as major as my initial mastectomy. Like, I had to live in the hospital again for about a week. Mm-hmm. Major painkiller, horrible pain management, lots of drains everywhere coming out of me. Mm-hmm. So this one, he cut a large portion of my lat muscle from my back. So so we did that, and we brought blood flow from the inside. So he reattached my lat muscle on, he sewed it to my pec and slid an implant in between. And then also, instead of trying to sew that radiated skin back together, there's also like a, a flap of skin from my back that is now on my front. So I have like a interesting looking scar on that section because it's <laughs> totally damaged, radiated, like darker skin mixed with like healthy white soft skin from my back but I mean again small price to pay it's fine I'd rather have that than the alternative so then I thought we were done and I was ready and I was like let's just do it this is great and then because only a little bit of my skin was replaced and because you know all of those tissues originally in that area were so damaged from the radiation my body did that annoying thing again where it formed a capsule and attacked the implant and protected the skin and formed this really thick layer of scar tissue. And that has happened multiple times. And I I, it's, I have it right now. It's probably the least bothersome right now that it's ever been, which is mm-hmm. why I haven't gone in for yet another surgery. But each time that happens, it's not just that it looks weird because the the thicker scar tissue squeezes the implant, 
but it also is super uncomfortable. Everything feels really tight. And I mean, I didn't mention this in the other episode, but I went through so much physical therapy Mm -hmm. and I've tried those ultrasound therapy and the cool laser therapy and everything that a physical therapist can offer to break up scar tissue and make your, you know, your skin softer and all of that. And it just doesn't work. I mean, once you've had radiation, I feel like there's no turning back. And unfortunately, there's nothing that I've found. And I feel like I've tried it all. But that's where all my other surgeries came in. So thank goodness some of them haven't been major. Only like three of them were legit major surgeries. But the other six have just been more of a nuisance. And then the healing process still takes forever. So we touched on this in the last episode. If you could go back and do things differently. I think you said you would have done some of the things you did, but you would absolutely not have done some of the other things you did, yes. it, that which made you have nine surgeries. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I'll start with the negatives. I would absolutely not do radiation. I, I would have, if I, if I weren't so young and scared and yeah. feeling like the sense of urgency of like, I have cancer, I might die. Yeah. <laughs> like if I hadn't been in that mindset and I had really researched, um, I, I probably wouldn't have done the radiation at all. I understand. I was very well informed of the difference between chemotherapy and radiation. Radiation will treat a specific area of your body mm-hmm. and has been proven in many, many cases. Obviously, it's why it's used, but proven to kill cells, including cancer cells, but it, it kills all cells. So let's not kid ourselves there. It, right. it kills everything in its path. I understand the purpose of it. And the reason we did it for me is because we knew that my cancer was in one specific space and we knew that we needed to, to aggressively treat it because I was so young. And I told my doctors time after time, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, like do whatever, just don't ever let me do this again. But had I known how damaging it was going to be and how much of an inconvenience it was going to become for me, I would have maybe not dealt with it because chemotherapy treats your whole body. It cannot target one specific area. They have different cocktails that can target specific types of cells in your body. But again, it doesn't just get cancer cells. It gets all your cells. So (laughs) it's, it's not cool either. But at least it doesn't damage like your skin and your tissues the way that radiation does. It it more damages like your whole body and your organs, which is I'm not saying any better. I definitely not have done radiation if I had known because it was it's literally the cause of nine. Well, six out of nine surgeries and surgery itself is a huge danger. I mean, going under general anesthesia nine times in like just shy of four years is not good for you. And I actually have really bad, like dizzy vertigo spells now. And I don't know if it's from chemotherapy or if it's from whatever, maybe it has nothing to do with anything, but I actually, in my heart kind of think it has to do with going under anesthesia so much. Hmm. That's not proven. Nobody ever don't take that as real stuff, but But it's a side effect of something. It's caused by something. Yeah. And I've, I've actually had my oncologist agree that that is a side effect of, it, of general anesthesia, but it wouldn't be happening to me five years later or four years later or three years later. He said that's more of like an immediate mm-hmm. side effect. But I don't know. I never got dizzies before I had all the surgeries, and now yeah. I get the dizzies all the time, which aren't fun. So maybe I'll figure out what that is, and we'll do another episode one day about how to 
deal with the dizzies. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. But what I would do again is surgery, not all of them, obviously, but the initial surgery of removing my tissues and taking the cancer completely out. And then all of the supplemental things on the side, the alternative holistic and homeopathic things that I did on the side, I would absolutely, I still do. I mean, I, I, it's not that I would do them again. I never stopped doing them. I mean, I don't go to acupuncture twice a week anymore, but if I have a crick in my neck or if I have a sore throat or if I have whatever, I should actually go back from my disease. That's one thing I haven't done, but <laughs> love my acupuncturist. I'm so glad that I got to develop that relationship with him and a love for the art of acupuncture and the treatment that it can provide. That I would definitely do. And then the consciousness of being aware of what goes into my body and eating cleaner and um, like incorporating more plant-based like juices, smoothies, proteins, things like that. That's something that I definitely, I mean, I've taken that away and I still do that. So yeah. And later in the show, we're going to hear some of your exact recipes. So I'm really excited about that. Yay. But I want to go to the emotional, spiritual component of this whole thing, because a lot of things you've talked about is what you actually went through physically and what you did. But how are you getting through this emotionally? You had you were diagnosed with breast cancer at 25. You had to go through nine surgeries, which is really unheard of. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> Plus all the treatments that you were doing. Yeah. And luckily you had your family to help you through this, but everyone has to go through their own emotional, spiritual awakening and their own emotional and spiritual therapy on themselves to get through this because you're standing in front of me and I've known you for a long time so I can say this like this <laughs> beautiful strong woman you're one of I think you're probably the most strongest person I know and so That's and strong. I can say that with perfect confidence but something got you through that because yeah. what did you do how did you get through this emotionally it's a, it was a lot so I have Somehow in life, I think I was just born like a happy child. <laughs> you are really happy. Yeah. And even before like any of this cancer business came to light, I always just, I've always been a more like glass half full optimistic kind of person. I was about to say that about you. Oh my God. I was like, Jill sees the glass half full. Like, and you know, those people that see it half empty and yes. they are always negative. And, you know, sometimes they're happy. They're like happy 20% of the time and then 80% of the time the glass is not full. Right. Right. And they're telling you their stories and they're all miserable. And then Jill, in my experience with you, <laughs> you can tell your stories and the glasses still have full. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I really. I love. Thank you, mom and dad, because I don't know how you did it, but you made just like a really positive outlook, like optimistic, happy, optimistic yeah. child. Yeah, I don't know, but that doesn't mean that I'm perfect all the time. And I definitely went through a really. I mean, I I tried to stay as upbeat as I could, but I mean. That first month or two after the diagnosis was a really bad place for me. Of course. To be. It's scary, it's sad, and it's frustrating. And I think that the the fear and the frustration of not understanding the process and what I was I, I just didn't even know what I was supposed to do. And I think that the the combination of being terrified and being confused and like not knowing what was coming was the hardest thing. So like most people should do, I got help. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like 
So I had never, you know, being the glass half full, like optimistic person, I had never even considered seeing a therapist or anything. I mentioned in the last episode that the breast center at Cedar sinai has like a patient relationships division and, mm-hmm. and they put me in contact with this girl to kind of talk to and she gave me advice and just let me know what her experience was. She was the closest thing to me that they could think of. She, yeah. she was older than me when she was diagnosed, but only like five or six years. And so she could relate to me and gave me a lot of advice and she's actually the one who turned me on to my acupuncturist and she told me a lot about what to expect with chemo and so that was so helpful it kind of put me at ease just knowing like okay I'm talking to someone else who's done this and she's out on the other side of it and she's fine and she's letting me know that like yes it's gonna suck but you'll be fine because I did it and I'm fine right so that was super helpful and one of the things that she suggested to me was that I needed she didn't even suggest it (laughs) she was like (laughs) so you need a therapist and I was like oh okay it caught me a little off guard because I'd never thought about it but as soon as she said it I was like I do (laughs) I need a therapist like right now and I needed one like starting four weeks ago right I asked her, I was like, well, you know, you're suggesting this. So obviously you must have seen a therapist. And she's like, oh, yeah, my therapist was great. I can give you his contact info. And then she stopped and said, but I actually feel like you should see this other therapist. And I said, okay. She was like, she's a really good friend of mine. It's actually unclear to me if they were friends before or if they met during or after their own cancer treatments. But they this friend that she was suggesting that I see also had breast cancer Mm -hmm. in her mid-30s. So she, you know, 10 years older than me, but, like, could relate. Because, of course, any age to get breast cancer sucks (laughs) completely. It's more common in older women, and it's a lot less common in women under 50 or 45, or I don't know the right number. But So you can pretty much relate to anyone who got it too young. Yeah, so I got in contact with her. Um, Her name was Kelly. She's amazing. There were some days where I would come in and sit down. She would just ask me, how are you doing? Yeah. And there were some days where, like, I would grab the box of tissues and just cry. Yeah. And then there were other days where I'd go in and I would just talk to her about, like, a funny story or something that happened. And then there were other days where I would go in and I would just look at her and I'd be like, just tell me. Tell me what's going to happen. Yeah. And she would just talk to me for the whole hour. So, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Sorry to everyone that's listening. The reason I'm emotional about it is because... It's okay. (laughs) Sorry. So the the reason I sound so emotional, and I I actually am, if you could see me, I'm very emotional right now talking about it, um, is because... I can't even say it. Okay. The reason I'm so emotional talking about it is because one day I went to her office and she told me that her cancer was back. And it was not back in her breast because she had done the same you know, double mastectomy as me. It was actually back in her lungs. And that explained why she'd had this weird cough for a very long time. And she was Mm. always drinking tea, trying to make her cough go away. Mm. And then she took a little break and went to New York for... Rio was very, very bothered by this. She got some... um, He just wants to protect his mama. I know. From the sadness. Yeah. Um, She went to New York for some, like, experimental, like, clinical trial treatments. And at first it seemed promising... 
And then it turns out that they found more of the cancer had spread to her brain. And Mm. then unfortunately, really unfortunately for her, but also selfishly so unfortunately for me because I miss her so much. um, She didn't, she didn't make it. So it's really like bittersweet to talk about it. Yeah. Because she was She was your person. She was the person that helped you get through all the emotional aspects of this because she had been through it. You know, you see her as your idol and this person that is this beacon of of health and then to have her get sick again is unimaginable yeah yeah she's the one who taught me like sometimes you can't do it yeah i was like you're right you know what i can't (laughs) (laughs) somebody help me already the therapy that that she provided like emotionally for me was so important in in learning to cope with the fact that like i hated what what my family was dealing with because i'm raised by this amazing tough New York broad of a a mom. (laughs) She is like everything you imagine when you think of like a strong New Yorker. That must be where you get it from. I guess. But but my my father's also a strong New Yorker, but he's like a softer, Mm -hmm. at least with me. Yeah. I'm sure not in life, but with me, he's like a, a softer, more emotional being. And my mom is a little bit more like, this is a goal. How do we accomplish it? Ready? Go, go, go. I mean, the whole time I had cancer, bless her for, for doing all this, but she kept encouraging me to go back to work because she thought <laughs> it would keep my mind off of it. Right. Like every conversation we had, she was like, why don't you just go back to work and keep yourself busy? Just stay busy, keep busy. Uh, that drove me crazy when my mom would say that because I'd be like, you don't understand. And at mm-hmm. the time I didn't, I didn't know emotionally how to handle yeah. that. And it was, it was coming from a loving place, but it, of course. It, it caused friction between us because I was like, you can't tell me that I should go back to work. You don't freaking know what it's like right now. Yeah. And then Kelly gave me the like tools to learn. Like, it's okay for you to feel the way you feel and mm-hmm. it's okay. This is your mother's way of dealing with it. And she's trying to get you through it by acting as though everything is fine. Mm-hmm. But it's okay for you to say everything's not fine. Right. And I need this and this from you. And that was so helpful. And my mom and I, I think... Like, closer now than we've ever been. Oh, yeah. That's so empowering to hear, like, you know what? Your feelings are validated and it's okay. Yeah. I didn't know that before, which is crazy. I was just always, like, a happy person. And the whole term of, like, sweeping things under the rug, I had never heard of that, which apparently is a very common thing that people do. (laughs) Like, in life, when they want to forget their problems, it's called, like, sweeping it under the rug. And I was, like... I what don't do you, know anything about that. I was like, what, what do you mean? Because I just was like, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. And then, like, when I got to a point where I really had problems, and she was like, you need to take it all out from under the, like, pick up the rug yeah. and deal with it. And I was like, oh, shoot. So I can totally relate to that. I didn't know what, I didn't know that I was doing that. Yeah. I didn't you know? even know what it was. Yeah. yeah. And until you realize these concepts, like, there are self help and psychology books for a reason because <laughs> we are doing these things that we don't even realize. So, Jill, you're taking all this in, you're taking all this on, and you don't know that you are suppressing this, these feelings, right? Yeah. So you're sweeping it under the rug, just like you said, and I was doing it too. And I had to learn how to pick up the rug unsweep and deal and say what you need to say get angry get sad get emotional let it out otherwise that's gonna all come back later that can cause cancer (laughs) seriously the stress i thought like she even said to me she was like the stress of all of this is not good for you exactly and and i think the hardest thing for me to unsweep if that's the term you want to (laughs) use is that a lot of the things i would sweep under the rug were like 
things I needed help with that I didn't want to inconvenience other people with. Yeah. And then she she was like, no, they, these people are here. Like, they want to help you. You're all that matters to them right now. Like, give them a purpose. And, and that was the other important thing was knowing that, like, the people who are offering to help, they want to have the purpose. They want to be involved in the help process. Like, they want to do it. And I was always like, no, I feel bad. I don't want to, right. I don't want to make anyone sad or inconvenience anyone or like, I don't want to bother them. And she was like, they're waiting for you to bother them. Yeah. They like, want a job. Yeah. They want to help. <laughs> but Jill, you've always been that way. And I feel like a lot of people are this way where like, you're not the type to be like, do this for me, do this for me. You're just like, how can I make everyone happy and not inconvenience anyone? Even today, you came over to my house and I said, park in the driveway, and you didn't. And I said, why didn't you park in the driveway? And you said, I didn't want to inconvenience you. Yep. And I said, I left the spot open <laughs> for true. you. And what did you do? You moved your car into the driveway. Well, I had to because I would have gotten a ticket if exactly. I left it on the street after seven. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just who I am. So maybe I'm not perfect at it yet. But I learned that it's possible to need help from others and that they would like, in the same way that I enjoy helping people, I learned that people will actually enjoy helping me too. Yes. That's, that's all they want. Yeah. And no one is perfect at any of this. So please don't judge yourself. <laughs> don't, yeah. And don't, don't take it like I'm some sort of pro because I needed like a lifetime long of therapy with Kelly. And unfortunately, I don't get to experience that. But I mean, if, if she were still here, I would still be going every week yeah. and spending like all of my paycheck on therapy. <laughs> it was just so good. It was so good to talk to someone about stuff. And I think that one thing that's so important about therapy in my experience and in your experience is finding someone who actually knows what you're going through because they've been through something very similar. And I have been probably in my life to, let's say, 20 different therapists, and I've rejected all of them. And this is my issue. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't <laughs> go to 20 therapists and say therapy is bullshit because it's not. But I was only comfortable and able to open up. And this is me talking when someone actually had lost someone to cancer. When someone had lost a parent to cancer, I was able to go, oh, actually, you do get me. But mm -hmm. talking to someone who had not shared my experience for me personally did not work for me. And for you... It sounds like that is why it worked for you because you're like, we're empathizing. Yeah. No one feels bad for the other person. No one is the expert and just the client right. that needs to be fixed. That's not what it is. Right. It's talking to someone that can share that sadness and that experience and go, even though ours were different, they were so similar that I understand you in a way that no one else does. Right. Your family, friends, roommates, boyfriends don't understand you. Yeah. I think it's so important. Yeah, it was the most important thing I did. I should go back to another therapist to talk about the loss of my therapist. Honestly, you should. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really need to because look how emotional I get talking about I it. Know. And it's been like two years. Every time that you go back and you feel those emotions, you're healing a little bit more. No matter what the issue is, yes. if it's breast cancer, if it's losing someone, every emotion that you feel is real. It's true for you. Yeah. So every time that you're able to deal with it and feel it and let it go, yeah. then you're able to heal. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I think anybody can agree with that. Like in my experience, I mean, I've obviously dealt with a lot of emotional things in life unrelated to getting cancer. I mean, we all, everyone has peaks and valleys. and Yes. 
things so like true. that. But like the only the thing that made me feel the best, and this is going like way back in time, back in last episode when I said like between diagnosis and starting surgeries and treatments and Susie said, what did you do? I was like, I self-medicated with Tylenol PM. The only other thing (laughs) other than Tylenol PM that made me feel better is I would just take like 45-minute showers and cry. Mm -hmm. Just cry in the warm, cozy shower. But like letting that out. And I I mean, I think I did it in the shower because I didn't want everyone else to have to see me cry because I didn't want to make everyone else feel bad for me because I was still in that mindset of like, I'm so concerned about how everyone else is feeling. I have to deal with this by myself. Right. But like letting it out is is the only thing emotionally. So healing. Like talking about it, feeling it, making fun of it sometimes, yeah. crying about it. I don't know if I ever went through like the anger phase. I don't think I had like the time to go through the <laughs> anger. I was like so busy being sad and confused and like, well, everyone experiences it differently, and what is behind anger is always hurt and sadness. Well, there's lots of that. <laughs> so you may have, you know, skipped to the the sadness, and that's what's behind the anger. So if you're angry about anything, what you have to get to to heal it is the sadness and the hurt. So maybe you skipped that. Maybe you still got it in you. I don't know. I was just advanced. I skipped right <laughs> over it. I was like, you know what? We're not going to waste our time with anger. We're just going to go straight on through to sad. It was that glass half full that was just like, okay, I'm happy, but now I'm sad. Yeah. And that's how you deal with it. I don't know how to be angry, so I'm just going to go straight to tears. Yeah. <laughs> and I think something that's really important is actually understanding stages of grief. And like you said, maybe you don't go through every stage, but if you don't know the stages, you don't know if you're finished. And we're never finished, Yeah. right? This is a process. Life is a journey. It's not a destination. So you can't get over something in a year. You can't get over something in two years. Whatever you've been through, you have to heal it and work on it. Not all the time, but frequently throughout your life. Well, I luckily or unluckily work on it every three months because every three months (laughs) I get like a complete... Um, like blood panel done that includes um, checking for tumor markers. So anyone who doesn't understand what that is, um, when you have cancer in your body, the tumor or it it doesn't have to be a tumor if you have like a a different type of cancer, but I can't speak for any of that because I don't know. But when you have breast cancer, um, your tumor secretes like a, a protein into your blood and you can actually test for it. Um, and I think it, I guess it, Matt, I don't know, actually. I shouldn't speak like a medical professional because I don't know how they determine which tumor marker to -hmm. search for. But I know like on the form that I take to the lab every three months, there's one thing checked off and there's like a bazillion other options of tumor markers. So, but the the thing I always look for is the, my tumor marker count. Every three months I go back to my oncologist and there's a like a two to three day window between when I have to go to the lab and get my blood drawn mm-hmm. and when I actually go to the appointment to get the results. And that does not sound like fun. It's not. So there's a couple reasons why it's not great. And then I'll get into the positive because I'm a glass half full kind of gal. <laughs> the, so the reason why it's really terrible is because every three months I am reminded that this happened to me and that there's a chance it might happen again. Right. And that's super stressful. The other thing that kind of stinks about it is the two or three day gap between when I get the blood drawn and when I actually get the results because 
as much as I try not to think about it, especially now, like I've been finished with chemotherapy treatments for over five and a half years. And there have been times where I feel like very short tempered or frustrated or angry or, or like extra emotional and sad. Yeah. And I won't understand why. And then it'll come to me and I'll look at the calendar and I'll say, Oh, well, my appointment's next week. So like, my <laughs> body's like on a cycle, unfortunately, where it knows every three months that this stress happens. It's like your period. It is, but it's an every three month period, which is better than the every month situation. <laughs> but it's still not good. But it still sucks. So that part of it is really the negative side. But every time I get into that space where I'm feeling really down on it and I'm thinking like, no one else has to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you know, like, why me? Anyone yeah. who's ever Victim had this happen. mentality. Of course. Yeah. It's it can, natural. Yeah. Then I have to think about like the brighter side, which is I'm fortunate enough that every three months for the rest of my life, even after my lovely, lovely doctor retires, because of the gene I have, I'm, it's not like people with no known cause for their cancer who go through treatment and once they hit their five-year mark, they get to celebrate. And they get to say, like, I'm five years cancer-free. My statistic of it returning is very, very low. For me, that doesn't exist because of the BRCA gene. So I feel fortunate about these checkups every three months in the sense that I am checked every three months. If anything were to come back, I would know within three months of it starting. And that... That's actually a blessing. That's that's every time I start to feel down or scared or depressed or angry or frustrated about the fact that I have to do this every three months, I think about, like, I am so grateful and fortunate to be able to do this every three months because, like, for example, you, Allie, like, you don't get checked every three months. Nope. And, and you have a family history, and I'm not trying to scare you, but, <laughs> but, but like, I will know immediately if something right. were to happen and the the earlier you catch something the less severe something is the easier it is to deal with i think it's really important to acknowledge that because it's like you said you're this optimist and i can see that i agree with you 100% but there is that time where you feel this fear stress and anger and that's for the rest of your life but it's yes. also a blessing so how can you frame it even more as this is all positive, this is all good, you know, say some affirmations around it so it doesn't cause you that stress anymore? Because I feel like that's probably one of the only stresses left in your life where you're living this really healthy life yeah. and other, every other way. Yes. It's the only thing that really still is lingering. And it's yeah. good. I mean, it's going to linger forever. That and like scars and surgeries and you know boobs that don't belong to me that those things will linger too but those you know like i said before those work out in my favor when i'm 60 and i still have you know you're gonna look a a nice chest (laughs) hey this is john lee dumas of entrepreneur on fire and you're listening to the food heals podcast where you'll find the tools to become a hotter healthier happier you we'll be right back with allison melody and Susie hardy Food Heals Nation, if you are looking for the highest quality supplements, the most luscious organic skincare, and a brand name that you can trust to be free from toxic chemicals, look no further than the Global Healing Center. I have been using their products for years. Their Parfait Visage Face Lotion literally makes my skin look younger. And it comes in a beautiful bottle, so it is perfect as a gift as well. And the Oxy Powder Colon Cleanse Capsules are the most powerful detox supplements I have ever used. 
They get everything out and they don't leave you feeling full or uncomfortable. The mission of the Global Healing Center is to bring back good health, positive thinking, happiness, and love. And they want to help you realize that your body is a self healing mechanism. Well, I couldn't agree more. So I've teamed up with Dr. Group and the Global Healing Center to bring you a discount exclusive to Food Heals listeners. Go to their website at globalhealingcenter.com, pick out the items you want, and use the discount code FOODHEALS, all one word, for 20% off your purchase, plus free shipping to the U.S. and Canada. 20% off is a great deal, Food Heals Nation. I love their products, and I know you will too. So what advice would you give to someone who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer? What would you tell them to do? First, cry. Get that out. Get it out. Yes. Cry it out. Get it out. Cry a lot. Yeah. But like, don't hold it in. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to be tough. Yeah. There's no point. You'll be tough. The toughness comes later. Yes. Be vulnerable. Cry it out. Feel your feelings. Yeah. And then I would say, start educating yourself immediately. And also get a therapist. Maybe maybe it goes in this order. Cry, find a therapist, like immediately. And don't be afraid. Right off the bat, like it's okay to be terrified and sad and scared. And don't try to pretend like you're not because you are. Find some way to educate yourself on like all of your options. Because like I said before, if I had known what radiation was going to do to me, I would have chanced it with other methods and not done that. Because when you think about it, like radiation is chancing it too. All of it's chancing it. Just educate yourself and find out what all of your different options are and consult with as many doctors or alternative medicine doctors or homeopaths as you can. Because the more you know, the better decisions you can make. And I know that when you get a diagnosis like I did, like I I mentioned last episode that there was like a a two to three week window between like finding out and seeing someone. And I felt for that whole time like, oh my God, there's cancer inside my body. Oh my God, I'm getting sicker and sicker every minute that passes. Oh my God, the cancer is spreading and I can't go do anything about it. But really, I don't think two to three weeks in the grand scheme of being diagnosed and educating yourself makes the whole world of difference. I think that taking the time to get multiple opinions before you choose a treatment route is probably much more beneficial than harmful. I totally agree. And last time you mentioned Gerson therapy, do you have any resources, whether it's books, websites, documentaries, or anything people could watch to kind of open their eyes to something other than Western medicine? Yeah, totally. The Gerson therapy has a book. I don't. I think it's just called The Gerson Therapy. And it's written by Max... Gerson Gerson himself. It's a very lengthy book, but there is not one page in it that does not completely captivate you and give you so much information. If you're a reader, then that book is great for educating you on not just like, here are some ideas of how you can get rid of your cancer, but like the explanation and the reasoning behind why it works, which Mm -hmm. I think is the most interesting part of all of it. Because somebody can give me a treat your cancer plan, And I'll be like, sure, treat my cancer, whatever. But like reading how like the juicing process actually makes your body heal is crazy. So that's a really good read. While I'm talking about books, there's another really good book that's more of an emotional treatment. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a huge part of it because your attitude really can impact the way, I mean, your emotions impact everything in your body. Your thoughts are things. Exactly. 
there's this other book called Ask and It Is Given. Mm-hmm. It's a very spiritual read and it's not necessarily out for people who have cancer. Like Gerson Therapy book is actually for people who have cancer right. who are trying to treat themselves. This book is just how to mentally frame yourself to deal with anything in life. And it's another one of those, a pretty lengthy book. I downloaded it. I read it while I was on the elliptical on the bike at the gym. It's a very good way to keep your emotions in check and balance. And it, it's kind of like going to therapy for those people who don't go to therapy or who don't want to go talk to someone or who can't really afford it but really think that they'd benefit from it. It's a really good read well it's self-help it's what are you telling yourself every day right Uh, yeah pretty much yeah but it it helps you understand like why you should frame your thinking a certain way so that you can keep yourself healthy and it's really good and then as far as like films and things go documentaries I mentioned last episode I went on like a Netflix binge watching. Yeah. And granted, this was like five and a half years ago. So off the top of my head, unfortunately, I don't remember every single thing that I watched. But I definitely started with, um, I watched A Beautiful Truth, courtesy of you, Allie. I love that one. Yeah. You burned it on a disc and everything for me. (laughs) She was like, watch this. I was like, okay. A Beautiful Truth is very eye-opening. And it talks a lot about Gerson therapy and how it can help. I don't work for Gerson at all. Like, I'm not trying to plug them. I yeah, just, no, we don't. We, I just believe in it. After everything I've learned, I believe in it. And that's what I would trust my life with in the future. So that's why I keep mentioning it. And then there's the Gerson Miracle, which is a lower budget documentary film. It's very informative and good, but it's not like Hollywood quality necessarily. <laughs> it's short. It's pretty short for a documentary. It's good to watch. And then... um If you watch one of those two or either of those two on Netflix at the bottom when it's like suggesting other things like it. Yeah, there's a lot on Netflix now. There's a ton. I mean, there's that Forks Over Knives. There's Food Incorporated or Ink or however they say. Yeah, Food Ink. There's um, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead. Oh, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead is amazing. Amazing. I love that documentary. It's just so uplifting to see this man who had this autoimmune disease who was like, literally fat and sick and nearly dead and on so many drugs yeah Yeah, he had chronic urticaria he was breaking out in rashes all over his body yeah it's a skin disease and then the fact that first of all the the first of all the cartoons are really really good they really explain things but then the fact that he has this rare autoimmune disease he is juicing his way back to health and then he meets a trucker who has the same disease yeah. who is fatter, sicker, and more nearly dead than yeah. he is. It and means it's not like him. a truck stop or something totally random, right? It's crazy. It's really crazy. It's it's amazing to watch that unfold. It's kind of it's like beautiful. It is. What you put into your body will it will change how your body feels and looks and how it's operating. And when your body's not operating correctly, that's when you get disease. Yeah. And that's when you get sick. I mean you are what you eat. And I remember hearing that when I was little and having no concept of what that meant. I did not understand that. And now I do. Yeah. I had no concept of that until I was 25 and had cancer. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I want to go to Del Taco and get a soft taco and French fries and this and that. And by the way, I still eat soft tacos and French fries. I just don't get them from Del Taco. Exactly. Yeah. You can still eat these foods. You just can't eat them from certain sources. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with a taco. I love me a taco, but I I won't. You have to know where it's from. You have to to make it yourself. You have to have it from a quality restaurant. Yeah. And French fries. I mean, 
There's nothing wrong. I, I actually make my own sweet potato fries now, but I bake them. Yum. Yeah. Watching those documentaries, and I mean, any of those that I just mentioned, it'll say at the bottom of the screen. And I, when I say I went on a Netflix documentary binge, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I didn't even go on Netflix with a specific thing in mind. I would just watch one, and then it would say, like, suggested for you, or you may also like. And I'd be like, that sounds interesting. And I just watched one after another. And some of them are quick. They're like 45 minutes, and some of them are two full hours, and... There's just so much information. Yeah. Out so there. educate yourself is really your message. Yeah. Deal with your emotional being and educate yourself and then figure out how you're going to physically deal with it. It would have gone way better for me had I done it the other way around. So, so take it from Jill. She's done yeah, it all. I really have. That's our show. Thanks for listening. For all the show notes, go to foodhealsnation.com slash 27. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Food Heals Nation. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us what you want more of. We want to create the best content for you, and we love hearing from you. Our tweetable today comes from Jill. Gerson therapy is what I would trust my life with. If you like that, you can tweet it to us at Food Heals Nation. You can also tweet it to the Gerson Institute at Gerson Institute. And make sure to use the hashtag Food Heals Podcast. That way we can see your posts. And we love seeing your posts. We love responding. And we love retweeting you. That's all for today's episode. We'll have part three of Jill's interview full of healthy vegan recipes for cancer prevention next time. So get out your pens and paper and get ready to take some notes. See you next time, Food Heals Nation. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat in this dress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately.